Sad. That phrase, borrowed from a great man, is perhaps the most fitting way to describe a rough week. Fleckus Talks, Zoe Rachel, and Josh Yasma will join the panel of deplorables to discuss it, as well as why TV is dead, Netflix is killing you, and books have the worst words. The worst words, folks, don't they? Plus, the mailbag. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Generally speaking, this was a rough week for the president. It was a rough week for America. Now, I am always hopeful. I always try to look for the bright side of things. And there is a small glimmer in this week. There's a bright side to it, which is that Kim Jong-un backed down. So we're not all going to get blown up by North Korean nuclear weapons. They have backed down on their threat to send a missile to Guam. And President Trump was getting a lot of flack for his tough talk about North Korea. He said that he would send fire and fury on them like the world has never seen, I think was the quote. He said that uh, he, the US military was locked and loaded on North Korea. And of course, people mocked him. They said he was a rube, he was warmongering, he was shooting from the hip, but it seems to have worked. North Korea's back down. Obviously, there were a lot of back channels that were going on between the State Department and North Korea and also with China. But all in all, seems like a great deal, folks. It seems like we got the art of the deal here. North Korea has released some Western prisoners. All in all, a, a nice bit of news for the week. All of the rest of the news this week was absolutely terrible. So for the bad news, President Trump has been attacked on all sides, on the left and the right, for his various responses to the Charlottesville attacks and the neo-Nazis fighting Antifa. Here is the first statement that he made. But we're closely following the terrible events unfolding in Charlottesville, Virginia. We condemn in the strongest possible terms this egregious display of hatred, bigotry, and violence on many sides on many sides. Now, the statement actually isn't untrue. There were many sides of culpability here. Antifa was beating people up, as they always do at these events, but it was tone deaf. And it also misses the enormity of the difference here. Antifa did their usual pepper spray, beating people up, hitting people with clubs, but the neo-Nazis did kill a woman and injure 19 others. So it was just a little bit tone deaf. Everybody basically agreed he could have come out and named the neo-Nazis, even named Antifa, but he didn't do that. So then he issued a second statement to correct that. As I said on Saturday, we condemn in the strongest possible terms this egregious display of hatred, bigotry, and violence. It has no place in America. We must love each other, show affection for each other, and unite together in condemnation of hatred, bigotry, and violence. Racism is evil, and those who cause violence in its name are criminals and thugs, including the KKK, neo-Nazis, white supremacists, and other hate groups that are repugnant to everything we hold dear as America. Excellent. He comes out, he names these guys, he names the guys who threw the rally. There aren't a lot of these people, by the way. Their numbers do not seem to be growing despite what you're seeing in the media. But he goes out, he names them. We don't need them. Nobody likes the Nazis. No mainstream conservatives showed up to this event. No alt-light showed up to this event. Not even the people who play around and uh, play footsie with the alt-right showed up to this thing. So good. He names them. He'd already acknowledged that there was trouble on the left in the previous statement. Seems like he's done. 
But for some reason, he had to go out and address this issue again. And in, in typical Trumpian fashion, it was a mixed bag. There was the, the third statement, the press conference, did stir, start out very well when he was attacking those lying Democrat hacks in the media. I think they do. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, that was a horrible, horrible day. Wait a minute. I'm not finished. I'm not finished, fake news. I that love was him. a horrible I'm day. not finished, fake news. So beautiful. <laughs> Calls them out as, as in a way that politicians have not done before. It's just glorious. But he didn't finish there. He had to undo all the good he did in that second statement. Do we have it? I think there's blame on both sides. You look at, you look at both sides. I think there's blame on both sides. So, okay, he has to go back. He says there's blame on both sides. As a result of this third statement now, CEOs begin abandoning the president's advisory councils. There were two advisory councils in particular, the uh, Manufacturing Council and the Strategy and Policy Forum. Uh, <laughs> it, it just got worse and worse. The CEO of Apple, Tim Cook, issued a statement, said that uh, what Trump said about the attacks in Charlottesville runs counter to American ideals. Kenneth Frazier, the CEO of Merck, criticized President Trump. And of course, with President Trump, he fights back. So he immediately takes to criticizing the CEO of Merck. That doesn't go very well. CEOs from a ton of different companies who were advising Trump begin to drop off. The leaders of Pepsi, IBM, Blackstone, BCG, Intel, Under Armour, everybody begins to jump ship. So President Trump preempts them and he disbands himself those two advisory councils. And we do have to nuance this a little bit. The New York Times, which Andrew Clavin rightly acknowledges as a former newspaper, the failing New York Times had a headline today said, CEOs long avoided politics. Trump is changing the calculus. How long have CEOs been avoiding politics? I haven't noticed that. I've noticed massive Pride Month campaigns at, at different companies. I've noticed mandatory diversity seminars, mandatory harassment seminars, mandatory re-education seminars. I see them wading into politics all the time. They've been virtue signaling for, for a very long time, but during the Obama administration, it was ratcheted up to a new level. So typical fake news from the New York Times. Nevertheless, they've really waded into politics here and appear to be jumping ship from the White House. Now, to make matters worse, White House chief strategist Steve Bannon decided to call a left-leaning outlet, the American Prospect, and give his thoughts on what is going on. And it's a little unclear whether he got scaramoochied, whether Steve Bannon got mooched here or, and didn't know that it was an interview, or if he was doing this intentionally to leak some information for the president. It seems to be the former. It seems like this did not go as planned, but who knows? You never really know with President Trump's administration. So on the positive side, Bannon called white nationalists, quote, a fringe element full of losers and a collection of clowns. Absolutely true. He said he thinks the media plays it up too much and we got to help crush it. Also absolutely true. There are not that many of these guys and the media love them. They love tying them to the rest of the right possibly bad for the administration. He trash-talked his colleagues in the same way Scaramucci did, a little less colorful language. Uh, and he undermined President Trump's North Korea strategy. He admits on this phone call that North Korea has us by the kulyuni, that if we launch an attack on North Korea, they're going to kill a lot of people in Seoul. They're going to attack Seoul with conventional weapons. You could have 100,000 people die or more. So the worst part of all of this for the administration is that 
We're talking about all of this nonsense and no policy is getting done. We're not getting tax reform. We were supposed to get that in the summer. We're not getting Obamacare repeal, which was tried and tried again and stopped by members of the Senate and the liberal Republicans in the Senate. Instead, we're talking about Confederate monuments as if that matters at all, as if this is the, the national crisis is that we need to pull down these statues that have been up for 100 years. And we're talking about the court politics, the court intrigue, who's getting fired, who's next out, who's coming up. And it's all just a waste of time. And now to round out the week, there has been a terrorist attack in Barcelona. We don't have a ton of information about it yet. I assume we'll find out that it will confirm that it was radical Episcopalians that committed it. But un until then, we don't know. Really sad, a sad way to start the week, a really sad way to end the week. And all around, it's been pretty, pretty rough. So now we've got, uh, got we, we have to talk a little bit about Barcelona, I guess. Um, th there isn't a lot of information yet. This is the first time that there has been a terrorist attack in a place where I have smoked a cigar. This is in Las Ramblas, a major tourist center of uh, Spain. And so clearly it does put certain things into perspective while we're talking about the court intrigue here, while we're talking about Confederate monuments. We do have to wonder what is the bigger picture? What are we fighting as a country? What are the biggest threats to our freedom and to our homes and to ourselves and our families? So. Speaking of the bigger picture, let's widen this picture and bring on our panel of deplorables. We have Zoe Rachel, Fleckus Talks, and Josh Yasma. Zoe, everybody is always saying Trump is having a terrible go of it. Is this week as bad for the administration as it seems, or is it fake news? Yeah, but no, he's probably having a rough week, which, which just goes to show I guess money doesn't solve everything now, does it? And I noticed <laughs> that these people out there, they want all this free education so they can make all this money, right? All this money, they want to make a whole bunch of money for stuff that they just want for free. What do you need all that money for? It just goes to show that, hey, people, when you guys are all successful when you make all that money that you want, there's going to be people that are going to hate you too. These college professors are going to be training another generation to hate you. That's a strong point. You know, money can't buy happiness. Happiness also can't buy money. We'll have to, we'll have to consider that. Fleckus, how does Trump bounce back from this? Um, I think it's going to be what he always does. He's just got to keep bringing it, um, work right past the media's narrative. I mentioned last time I was on the show that I watched the news backwards. So whenever Trump's having a bad week in the media, I think he maybe is having a better week than people think. Um, I think he did a great job disavowing these hate groups on both sides. I don't know what more he could have done with the information he had. I think he's just got to be consistent and just keep plowing through. It's a war. That is right. The, cons the consistency is a real issue because he gave his first statement, which was okay. He gave the second statement naming the people, probably a little bit better. And then he gives his third statement and backtracks on the second and creates a lot of confusion. Maybe it was 4D chess. Josh, China seems to be cooperating with us on trade and North Korea. Would you say that there is a glimmer of hope this week on the foreign policy front? Um, I think so. I think that um, Trump has done a good job behind the scenes, mm. but he hasn't done a good job articulating his vision. He hasn't done a good job telling us what he's done behind the scenes. We've had to rely on administration officials, op-eds, and uh, you know, reporting. Are you suggesting the President Trump does not have the best words? I'm telling you the best <laughs> words, folks. Because I won't stand for that. He has a communication problem, for sure. 
Even when he does something good, he makes it seem like it's a bad thing mm. or he doesn't articulate it properly. That's the problem. And perception is oftentimes reality. Well, you know, all right, we've got to get into the news. I want to keep this panel around for at least one news story, and then we'll have to say goodbye to all of you who haven't subscribed to The Daily Wire. In the news today, Apple is spending $1 billion, a billion with a B, developing original content. Netflix is going to spend $7 billion developing original content. And Facebook is even developing original TV content. Zoe, is TV dead? <laughs> Uh, well, it's like it's just like saying rock and roll is dead. It's like no, rock and roll's not dead. TV's not dead. Um, but yeah, I, I would agree that uh, a, a death culture is being promoted. It's like when they're talking about this stuff is bad for us. Like yeah, a lot of this stuff is bad for us because they promote crappy messages. Hey, if they're gonna spend all this money, and it's funny, man, because they always say the Republicans are all the ones with all the money. But it looks like liberals are the ones with all the money to be able to invest in all this stuff, even if it was even if it was somebody else's money. But it'd be great if these so-called rich Republicans, I'd like to find out who they are, it'd be great if they would put their money where their mouth is and start investing in some content to compete with these fools. Yeah, this is a plea from Hollywood. If you're out there, Republicans with money, give us some TV shows or, or movies or yeah. fun something. That's yeah. what I keep hearing. Republicans are the ones with the money. You're a rich Republican. Like, where? <laughs> I'm looking for I can't find them anywhere. I still, I still oh. haven't even gotten all my book checks yet. Josh, is this new all-on-demand uh, model, is it good or is it bad for the consumer? You can stay up late, you can watch whatever show you want, you can watch it for 100 hours. Is that good or bad for us? It's a little bit of both, I think. That's a strong statement. <laughs> uh, you're going to have to defend that. Um, ultimately, it gives consumers more choice. You know, I can... Um, go to work during the day and then come back home at night and watch a show at midnight if I wanted to. But I, I think there's something to be said about the fact that TV in decades prior gave the country a way to coalesce around something. Mm. It was this moment of stillness, of this um, collective unity where we can all kind of put aside our politics, put aside our differences and engage in the show. And now, TV watching seems to be a solitary act. It seems to be, you know, individuals um, alone in their rooms watching on their laptops. I think rather somebody's than projecting here. No, I think you make a very good point <laughs> because there are two levels of this. It used to be, on the one hand, you've got families coming together around a TV and watching it, but there also was the fact that all of America was watching the same shows. Right. There weren't that many channels. We had a common culture. Fleckus, does this destruction of the common culture explain some of the crazy polarization we're seeing? Uh, yeah, I would say so. I mean, they're really catering to the younger viewers who are very computer savvy, very tech savvy. Uh, they want to watch these shows in their own time. Uh, I think a lot of these people are watching the same shows, not necessarily like they used to back in the day where you, know, you tune in every day at 10 o'clock and see your program. Um, with this though, I think it heads down a tricky road because all these companies are investing more to these liberal outlets are now going to be pushing their narrative on so many other fronts, it's going to be really hard to combat that. That's absolutely true. The one exception might be the Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones is a kind of common thing. It's always trending on Twitter. There were rumors that it leaked. Did you all watch the leaked episode? <laughs> no. Uh Considering the Game of Thrones and leaking and how much nudity, that just sounds gross. <laughs> well, that's an image that I won't be able to spoon out of my mind's eye, unfortunately. <laughs> I am so glad we don't have any criminals on our panel of deplorables. But they're, they're deplorable in many other ways. But now, 
if you don't subscribe to The Daily Wire, you can't keep watching them. We want to thank all the subscribers who have come along with us. You can go over now to dailywire.com to watch the rest of the show. And if you haven't done that already, go to dailywire.com and sign up. It's only 10 bucks a month, $100 a year. You get the Leftist Tears Tumblr, which keeps your Leftist Tears hot or cold, always salty and savory and delicious. And you'll also get my show, you'll get The Andrew Clavin Show, and you'll get The Ben Shapiro Show. So go over there right now, dailywire.com. We'll be right back. So I have bad news about the binge-watching TV culture. According to a study, there's so many studies, a new study shows that binge-watching one series before bed is worse for your health than watching the same amount of regular TV because of something called, quote, mental arousal. How do they know what I'm watching? Fleckus, one of the negative effects of these streaming platforms is it's so hard to find time to read books. 23% of Americans per year don't read a single book, and that rate has tripled since 1978. Are we getting dumber, or is this TV, all these great TV shows, are they somewhat edifying? Hmm. It's hard to say. I mean, I watch a lot of Netflix. I'm in great shape. So <laughs> You make an excellent <laughs> argument. I think that settles I don't, it. I think that's it, right? I mean, I'm in pretty good shape. Let me be the poster, poster boy of this. Uh, Netflix doesn't necessarily make you not exercise and do stuff. If you sit there and watch an entire season of the show on a Sunday, you know, last week, and I don't think it's going to affect you that bad. Healthy like Fleckus. Healthy like Fleckus. Zo, science is always scaring us with nonsense like climate change and tobacco warning labels. Do you believe this mental arousal thing that it keeps you from sleeping? Is Netflix really killing us? Man, if, if anything that concerns Little, I don't think it, in, in terms of arousal, it always ends up, you know, a pretty flaccid <laughs> thought. Uh, but, hey, you know, I wanted to say something to uh, uh, the point that my man was talking about in terms of, like, you know, uh, you know, this solitary watching. You know, it's, I think it's ironic that liberals, they talk about unity and bringing everybody together. But this thing that they're promoting about this binge watching, you just watch it. It's like there's no unity in watching TV anymore. And people don't want to say nothing because they get into a conversation. It's like, no, don't spoil it for me. So right. people just be like, you know, and, and not only that, this this it, it like separates the herd because now it's like you could just you don't have to, uh, uh, you know, there's no pushback. The culture is isolated by themselves and watching this stuff and these ideas that they're they're pumping into their brains. And it's like there's no. Uh, uh, no, no filter the numbers anymore. Right. Yeah. No, no filter. No strength. They got them by themselves, and they can just pump their ideas into their heads. It's like one at a time, and it's working, man. Yeah. Bad we, for you. we used to watch a TV show, and then that's all anybody would talk about the next day. And now you explicitly can you can talk about anything but that because people mm -hmm. are watching it on different timetables. That is true, Josh. You are a degenerate. When was the last time you <laughs> turned off the TV and read a book? Um, several weeks ago, actually. Um, That's not bad. It's better than most Americans, <laughs> it I is. guess. Well, I was an English major, so... Um, but, you know, Zoe is right. I, I think that there's something unhealthy about this solitary TV watching. And I don't want to say that, you know, people aren't consuming text, people aren't engaging with language, because I think the mediums are changing. I think people are reading more articles online. I think people are consuming text on their phones. I think so. Reading the dailywire.com. Reading the dailywire.com, exactly. They never stop, they never get it off their phone. Exactly. Yeah. 
So I, I think the, the, the way we consume text is changing, and that's going to keep changing. But um, so we're on the verge of an almost um, kind of like a revolution where our own sort of printing press and the printing press is digital media. Yuck. I like the old media. But speaking of that, you're probably right. Speaking of those books and these new media, a new study, another, yet another study, has found, quote, a dramatic increase in swear words in American literature over the last 60 years. Books published between 2005 and 2008 were 28 more uh, times more likely to contain swear words than uh, books published in the 1950s. And one study in particular found that there was one word that was 678 times more likely to be included. I'll let you think about what that word that was. So, WTF, man, why all the naughty language? Hey, you know, and I feel like I'm kind of on the spot here because my, my book is actually called Weapon of Ass Destruction. <laughs> and, um, and when people look for it, it's like, man, I try to look up your book and I just keep running into gay porn. And it's like, well, that was, part, that was part of the strategy, man. It's like to help get the liberals to get it on their radar somehow. But despite that, I think that is the only profanity that is in my book. And, and even ASS is an acronym. It stands for American Socialist States. So, but yeah, it's... For some reason, people want to use profanity to give punctuation to their point. You know, it's like, you know, if I just drop this curse word, it's going to make my point so much more valid. And I'm like thinking about, you know what, when God, you know, spoke the universe to existence, he didn't say, let there be effing light. He didn't have to say that, man. He just said, let there be light. He just chilled. The universe, <laughs> universe came to existence. That's power, man. You don't need a curse to be powerful. Yeah, you don't you don't see God using a lot of naughty language in those those really strong statements in Genesis. I don't know what text you're reading. Uh, yeah, well, Marshall, <laughs> Marshall has a particular Bible. Josh, is this a reflection of our more shallow culture, a reflection of our thought? You know, David McCulloch said that to write well is to think clearly. That's why it's so hard. Is that is that what it's a reflection of? I don't know if it's a reflection of our more shallow culture. I think that publishers are trying to attract consumers and they're willing to do anything to attract consumers, even if that includes profanity, eroticism. There's a reason Fifty Shades of Grey was so successful. It wasn't because it was a brilliant plot. It was because, you know, it was, it was catering to a specific kind of consumer. And the character development. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Absolutely brilliant. Profound I mean, Shakespeare. Ideas. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> No, you know, that's absolutely true. And you're right, Zoe, when you when you use swear words too much, they get a little watered down. You know, they they uh, it's sort of like how conservationists say we have to kill animals so that we can preserve animals. There is an argument that we have to stop using swear words so that we can keep using swear words effectively. Uh, Fleckus, do we need to clean up our language? I don't think so. I think this is a sign that uh, freedom of speech is alive and well in the U.S. I think this is a great thing, and there's no, nothing wrong with the First Amendment, and no one's stomping on it, and free speech is alive and well. That's what this tells me. The First effing Amendment, absolutely. Okay, well, on that <laughs> note, i got to say goodbye to you guys. Our panel of deplorables, Zoe Rachel, Fleckus Talks, and Josh Yasma. I will also note, by the way, that my own book, Reasons to Vote for Democrats, A Comprehensive Guide, does not include a single swear word. So if you're looking for family-friendly reading, that's a great place to go look. Okay, it's time for the mailbag. We have a lot of great mailbag questions, so I'm going to run through them as fast as I can. First one from Brett. 
Dear best-selling author Mr. Knowles, what advice do you have for authors looking to write their first book? Really enjoy the podcast and the panel of deplorables. Thanks, Brett. I have no advice for authors looking to write their first book because I've never written a book, though I am a number one international best-selling author with a presidential endorsement author, not a writer. It's very confusing. I would ask Andrew Clavin or Shapiro on, uh, for any advice on writing books since they have written them before. From Jeff, hey Michael, I have really enjoyed your show and the people you have brought on. I was wondering who you have read or listened to about your faith to help you continue down the Catholic path. I'm Catholic and I really enjoy reading and watching YouTube of Bishop Barron, Peter Kreef, and Scott Hahn. Thanks. Those guys are all great. I can recommend some people in particular. My own priest uh, in New York, who is, he'll be officiating my, my wedding next year, is Father George Rutler. Rutler is an amazing guy. I've read a lot of his books and all of his columns in Crisis Magazine. He writes a weekly column and you can get his homilies online at the Church of St. Michael in NYC. It's in Hell's Kitchen. I, I, I Rarely does a Sunday go by that I don't read them or listen to them. They are really, really good. He uh, is an, a really interesting man. You should look up some biographies of him. I think he was Bill Buckley's priest. He's got a long association with the conservative movement and people on the right. And he's, he was a hero of 9-11. He's just a really, really amazing man. And I think his writing more than, more than basically anybody's has brought me back to the Catholic faith and to uh, ecumenical Christianity writ large. So I highly recommend reading him. And then of course, uh, C.S. Lewis and G.K. Chesterton are also great. And, uh, and unfortunately only one of those guys has YouTube videos, so you can explore them at your leisure. From Val, question. Hey Michael, I was wondering if you could give your opinion on Gen Z and what the post-millennial generation might mean for the conservative movement. Thanks. I love them. They are the best people ever. They are, we had the greatest generation in the 30s and 40s, but they're pretty close. Maybe they'll be better. I don't know. They have a lot of time and we might be going to war with Korea or something. They're great. I think my generation, the millennials, grew up and were enamored of Barack Obama. I got to college right when Obama won in 2008, and we just totally fell for this guy. We were a little soft. We were helicopter parented, participation trophies, all of that. From what I know of Gen Z and the post-millennials, they are reacting to that. They, I think they see the world a little bit more clearly. They cut through some of the BS and some of the ideological constructs that we were imbued with when we were kids, and I think they're just great, and they should keep on doing it. From Tyler. Uh, Question, Knowles of the, oh, I'm sorry, from Tyler. Here's the question. Yo, Mike, will you please answer this phenomenal question? And that's the entire mailbag question. And the answer is yes. From Joe, question, Knowles of the Trolls. You hear a lot of people talk, a lot of talk about how Republicans and specifically Trump are the largest threat to our Republic. These comments typically made by people who would rather wipe their tuchus with the Constitution. However, on an international front, there are threats in the rogue regimes of North Korea and Iran. Ultimately, the domestic threat of seeing the Browns versus the Reds in our streets strikes me as most jarring. What do you think is the largest threat to our great nation? I will read you a poem to answer that. Some say the world will wind up Nazi. Some say liberal fascist. From what I'm told by paparazzi, I hold with those who forecast Nazi. But if it must return to ashes, I think I've read enough of Marx to know Antifa clashes always throw off sparks and also thrashes. I hope that answers your question. From Patrick, question. 
Do you think the Republican Party will move toward libertarianism, not populism, or the or rather to the left in order to survive? A lot of people ask that. How are we going to survive? How are we going to survive in this culture? Because the culture is so against us. We get it from Hollywood. We get it from the mainstream press all the time. We see it in our Facebook feeds with hysterical lefties. But we are winning. If you look at the actual numbers, we are winning so much we're almost sick and tired of winning. We took almost 1,000 seats under Barack Obama's presidency in the state houses. We took 24 out of 32 governorships in those places with Republican state houses, or with Republican legislatures, rather. We took the Congress, obviously. We took the Senate. And we took the presidency. I think we're doing pretty well between libertarianism or conservatism or on those fringes some people advocate white identity politics. I think what we have to do is always refer back to human dignity and ordered liberty. If we refer back to those foundational principles, I think we can read the American founding documents and the American ideals through them and we won't go wrong. But we've always got to stay focused on ordered liberty and human dignity. If we do that, I think we're going to just keep on winning. From Cole, dear Mr. Rodham Clinton Knowles, I'm glad that you could reference my cousin. I noticed when you advertise the subscription for the Daily Wire, you don't show off the leftist tears mug. Is this because Ben found out that you were related to HRC and won't let you use one? Love the show. My condolences to you for being related to Hillary. That is not the reason. It's actually because Steven Crowder smashed my leftist tears tumbler uh, on his own show. So sad. Another question from Kyle, Master Knowles. A couple of times on the show now, I've heard roaming millennial mention that she is hoping to have a family within five years. I think I see where this is going. While I am unsure of the status of her love life, I believe I could help her reach that goal. I am a straight, white, cisgender, conservative male. So long as she can see past all of the privilege and unconscious bias I innately possess, I think we could really make it work. Thanks, Kyle. Kyle, I have said this before and I will say it again. We are auditioning Roaming Millennial to become a sister wife once I get married to sweet little Elisa, my fiance, and we start our apocalyptic right-wing polygamous cult. She's mine, hands off. From James. Hi, Michael. Do you believe the alt-right's philosophy is similar to the left's in that it is somewhat of a pseudo-religion? As I believe it was said on yours or Clavin's show, the left prefers the essence of something rather than the content of that thing. I think what you mean is they prefer the appearance or the semblance of something rather than what actually makes it that thing, what animates it. I find it quite sad to quote a great man. Thanks, James. Uh, yeah, I think they're two sides of the same coin. I think they, and I think they would admit that too. They say these identity tactics have been working for the left for a long time and we're going to start doing it too. This disreputable, dishonorable behavior has been working for the left. We're going to do it too. So yeah, absolutely. It's on the flip side of the left. I would say it's a pseudo religion in that it, it is uh, an ideology and ideology replaces religion, but it's also pseudo philosophic. Uh, you know, their ideas really don't hold together. They try to put off this image of logic and philosophical coherence. I don't think they have any of it. I think it's like most modern art. You, you think it must be profound because the artist tells you that it is, but if you scratch below the surface, you realize it's a bunch of nonsense. And I think there is a, a essential paradox at the heart of their ideas, which is that they defend Christendom, but they hate Christianity and they don't practice it. So I, uh, I definitely discount them as I would discount the left. And I think we should disregard all of that and just 
read some books, man, and defend Western civilization and culture in a serious way and in a way that will lead us toward more ordered liberty and human dignity and more winning, winning, winning. Okay, that's enough. It was a rough week. We will be back tomorrow. Join us. Hopefully it will be a better... Oh, I'm sorry. We'll be back on Monday. Hopefully it will be a better week and you can survive the weekend. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Thank you for watching.